Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of 12 Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12 and the best business phone service as chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over the Pac-12 country particularly in week one of college football. Bow, 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 bow. Stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Use Nextiva for your business to get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more. Offer of the fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit Nextiva.com slash 12-pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 1-2-P-A-C to get started. Oh, South Carolina! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, and we did it. We did it. You are all great Americans, um, and, and internationally, hopefully, you are good countrymen of your origin as well as we move into week one of college football season this is brian conger thank you for joining us 12 pack radio is our twitter handle one two pac radio and you can follow us on twitter and subscribe to the podcast etc cetera, etc cetera. that doesn't matter right now rob because i am joined by rob bowen from sharp college football as we're going to break down every single pac 12 game this week we're going to talk week zero and we have depth charts rob we have depth charts we have sam neuer the starting quarterback at Oregon State University. My mind just exploded. Yeah, that one. I mean, that took us both by surprise. I mean, I I think, you know, when we saw that transfer move, you know, when we saw he was transferring from Colorado, you know, I don't think any of us had real expectations that he was going to be starting in FBS football yeah. at another Power Five school. Uh, but Brian Lindgren's the guys that the guy that recruited him uh, when he was back as the OC at Colorado. Um, and I, you know, they must have really not had a lot of faith in Jebbia to bring in Neuer in the first place. I thought they were bringing him in for potential depth with the, you know, guy that had least seen game, but you know, he, they beat, beat out Jebbia for the job. Yeah, you know, Chance Nolan was the, the if you stat if you can get you can find people that are stat counting by people that say that he did a good job last year, and you know, maybe hopefully he grows into the position and all that stuff. Being the JUCO transfer, I think from Saddleback College in Southern California, but uh, clearly just was not quite there. He wasn't accurate. He was kind of all over the place. He had a couple good spots that made his stats look better than they really were. Uh, I feel a little vindicated here. I know uh, Hippolyte got at me a little bit on Jebbia, and I think uh, we had some other friends. You might have been a Jebbia fan. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm just patting myself on the back here, real fast. Um, I, I'm just surprised though, because I thought maybe Jebbia would take another step forward, right? Because he wasn't bad last year. And the fact, like I agreed with you, Rob, where I thought they were gonna take Neuer on as as that really solid backup. Hey, if we really need him, we got somebody here, or maybe a change of pace quarterback if they wanted to do some run, you know, run options and stuff like that. But, um, but here we are, man, with Sam Neuer, and uh, I think Jebby is a good backup. So, uh, I, it, I don't know, like Jonathan Smith 
clearly has shown that the decisions that he's made on offense have been really solid. So I am just fascinated to see what type of offense they're running and how they're able to utilize him because he was able to drag that Colorado team to a winning season last year. So we'll see what he's able to do over in Corvallis. Yeah. I don't know. I mean that he wasn't great. I mean, there's, I don't think you can put too much of a bow on it. I mean, he wasn't great last year for Colorado. I mean, I, I would take, you know, Lindgren and, and uh, Smith over Chiaverini, you know, as you know, with scheme and play calling any day of the week. So yeah, sure. I mean, I, they're likely to get more out of Neuer than, you know, Colorado got out of last year, but I, I mean, it, it definitely gives me a little bit less, less faith in Oregon state this season. Yeah, yeah, we'll take a look and see what happens there. Speaking of Colorado, they uh, officially made their decision to uh, make Brandon Lewis the quarterback there. Um, so he will head that offense, which I, you know, I don't think it was any surprise because, uh, you know, he, he was a very highly touted commit and was able to kind of take a year to, you know, learn the offense, even though it was a crazy year with COVID and stuff. But it'll be fun to see him uh, really be out on the field and take care of business. It's kind of fun looking at their depth chart. You know, they got Jerry Rice's son, Brendan Rice there, which is which will be fun to see him on the field. They have Levante Chenault, the uh, I think cousin or I think it's the brother of LaVisca Chenault, who is listed as an or at that X position at wide receiver. A lot of the depth charts are out, Rob. There wasn't anything really surprising on my end uh, outside of, of that decision in Oregon State. Uh, anything pop for you when it came out to some of the depth charts? Not all of them are out yet. A lot of them came out today, and I think we'll be seeing more announcements as we move forward into week one. No, nothing really stood out too much. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I think I'd like, you know, just to, just that, as you mentioned, just that one decision really said most everybody else. I mean, the, the quarterbacks we expected to start, were starting, you know, there might be a linebacker here or there that was a little bit of surprise, but uh, mostly it was what we expected. So I, I wish I had my soundboard with me today because I'd be playing the shame none uh, bell, who, by the way, is the owner of the football team in Ted Lasso, <laughs> which I, I'm like, I know that woman is from something in Game of Thrones. And it, when I, once I realized she was the shame none, I got really excited. Um, but w- when we did our week zero preview last week, I was so focused on the final season win totals for the Pac-12 North. I didn't do my due diligence in breaking down that UCLA game in Hawaii. Um, I, I kind of more was just putting it on feel, right? Because usually Chip Kelly doesn't show a lot, and he certainly didn't. We had we had our friend Chris Osgood uh, on our on our Twitter show at halftime, which we'll we'll continue to do a little bit more of that work as we move forward into the season. But UCLA, man, they just dominated. Just dominated Hawaii, forty-four to ten, and honestly, it wasn't that close. That it was like a throwaway touchdown in the uh, uh, in the third quarter, and uh, just it all started up front. I just kind of wanted to break that down because we had some listeners from our halftime show, and really nothing changed in the second half. So pretty, we pretty much covered everything that we needed to. But this started and ended up front with UCLA just absolutely mauling the offensive line of Hawaii. They were in the quarterback's head. You could just tell he was hearing footsteps everywhere. And that was the game. I mean, I, I, for me, that really stood out. Was there anything in week zero that really popped at you? There's a couple other things that, that come to mind, but that really, I thought, was the story of that game. Yeah. I mean, I thought UCLA, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, uh, as Chris Brown, the uh, smart football writer uh, pointed out, Chip Kelly's diversified his run game a little bit. He definitely has added some, you know, power uh, to his run game. Um, and we saw some of that, you know, we got to see both center and guard pulling uh, some in that game. You know, they were very effective uh, on those calls. 
a pretty, I mean, we, we talked about them coming out in the second half and wanting to get Dorian Thompson Robinson going, you know, get his confidence up heading into LSU. They certainly did that. And did then they? The, a good did game. They, though? Like, I mean, enough. 10 to I mean, 20, he, he 130 yards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he was terrible. I mean, the, the terrible, you know, stats were from the first half. The second half, they got him on a couple of string of completions yeah. and called it a day for him. <laughs> um, I thought the UCLA DBs had a pretty good game. Um, you know, certainly, you know, like the what they were running with uh, Hawaii, you know, they were they were dialing up pressure, but, you know, the Hawaii quarterback was needing to get through, you know, was often looking, you know, having to look away from his first or second read. I mean, what you should take away from that with, Know, this being Hawaii though is is not a lot. I mean, like UCLA didn't show. I mean, I I mean, I on this podcast did expect UCLA to be pretty good this year. Um, so like this is one bit of information that we have that would seem to confirm that, but it is not the final story yet. And we're gonna find out a lot more in this coming week. Um, but yeah, I mean, like what we talked about with UCLA having a really, really good run game and um, you know, like their defense potentially improving. We saw some very good signs for that. Yeah. And, and to your point, looking down that secondary um, and just how strong that they, they were able to put together a game, I would love to see the camera angle because you saw the quarterback look downfield multiple times. And I was looking at my, yeah, I was kind of taking notes of the game and I'm just like, this guy hasn't thrown a pass or even attempted one for more than 15 yards. And in the beginning it was, running for his life. There was three batted passes down. It was just, you could, you could tell they were just running around in his brain. Um, and he heard those footsteps, but later in the game, he was looking downfield, trying to get that ball downfield and just UCLA did a really good job. Um, uh, I'm assuming, right. Or either that he was making awful, awful decisions. And he had many of those too. There was a couple like moments where if he just would have stepped left in the pocket, he would have bought himself five seconds and he runs directly into the blitzing linebacker. So I think, I yeah. think the, the quarterback play was pretty poor when it comes to Todd Graham's team. But with that said, you could tell that it, it wasn't like he wasn't trying to pass downfield. And I think that's indicative of the secondary, which by the way, was an area where I, I was really, really um, cautious on giving that secondary any platitudes from last year. And we'll really see, we'll cover that LSU game. But I just think if you're a UCLA fan and you're looking at this, this is exactly what you wanted to see. You wanted to see a dominant front seven. You wanted to see a secondary that was able to hang with some wide receivers that, you know, Hawaii's brought in some decent wide receivers in over the years. And you wanted to see the offense roll. And holy Moses, Rob, Zach Charbonnet was awesome last week. Yeah, I mean the 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 offensive line was, was terrific for Hawaii, um, and they were they really did. I mean, and the receivers too. I mean, they had some pretty good downfield blocking. Um, you know, like they 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 showed up and and really, I mean, they didn't run out. I mean, their their offensive game plan was was pretty vanilla. Um, and on defense, I thought they were far more aggressive than you're likely to see them against uh, LSU. Just putting a lot on tape for LSU to have to think about. But all in all, I mean, they showed up and absolutely, you know, I mean, great teams cover. I'm not saying UCLA is a great team, but they <laughs> certainly covered against Hawaii. Yeah, covered and then some Zach Charbonnet, six for 106 with three touchdowns. And Britton Brown, the Duke transfer from uh, two years ago, who had a really good season last year, also showed his ability 13 for 78 and a touchdown also. So really, most of the damage was done on, on the ground. The one thing that I will flag was I thought Dorian Thompson Robinson wasn't very good in the first half. And yes, oh, yeah, the first half, I mean, first half and the receivers too, I thought. Yeah, I would, there was just like three specific passes where I'm like, if he just hits that, you know, the, I thought the receivers yeah. were open and he just missed them and you just go, oh my goodness, for the love of Pete, uh, 
that's seven more points if he can just get it in that no, that first touchdown pass that he just <laughs> overthrew you know you had the you either wide receiver on either a drag you know or a corner route and you know came open and he just he just overshot him i'm curious to see how good hawaii is moving forward because there was i counted at least nine drop passes in the first half i mean yeah when the quarterback finally broke free and was able to actually get a pass off, his wide receivers failed him over and over and over again. I'm like, how is this team going to score any points? And I wish I had live betting on the bookie that I'm working with because uh, I was just all over UCLA by that first quarter. Like, holy goodness, they're just gonna they're gonna bring the wood. There, there's no getting out of this for Hawaii, and that ended up being the case. Uh, but congratulations to Bruins fans. So um, I might, you know, I'm curious with this LSU game as we move forward. We're gonna uh, preview that in every game, but. Um, but man, uh, I'm thinking a little bit, I'm getting a little nervous because uh, the UCLA under was one that I was pretty bullish on. I didn't trust the secondary and uh, they really showed up and, and so did that front seven. So, um, and that USC transfer certainly has been helpful. The guy, the kid that came from Michigan. So, you know, we were worried about that center portion of the line and um, it looks like they have that taken care of, at least against Hawaii. So Rob, anything, anything else before we get into uh, previewing these games? No, let's, let's dive in. I'm, I'm so excited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is William Shatner? You want it? Actual gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. Ah, it's here. It's here, Rob. Finally, we're talking week one. We have a full slate of games. One of the things that we're going to do as we cover all of these is there's a lot of FCS games on the schedule. And shame. She's talking about the shame bell. Shame on you, all Pac-12 teams that are you know, Weber State, Southern Utah, Northern Colorado. Get out of here. Um, but what we do want to do is like get into the expectations for the teams that are playing those FCS schools so we can at least give a little bit of um, insight into what to look for as we're watching these games. And we start on Thursday, which, which by the way, has been super fun. It seems like Utah has opened three years in a row on a Thursday, and it's always at like four o'clock or something. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting off work or I'm still at work and I'm flipping on that Utah game, watching them beat the tar out of like a Weber state or a Utah Valley or whoever they're playing. Um, this week, Thursday, 4 30 PM, uh, on the Pac-12 network, we have Utah playing Weber state, uh, Weber state, of course, being an FCS school and Rob, Charlie Brewer, Charlie Brewer for all the Utah fans, uh, not Connor Brewer, has been named the uh, the starting quarterback for Utah. I mean, I think they're going to roll here. They have just so many different toys and tools to work with. What are you going to be looking for in this matchup? Well, I mean, I, oddly enough, I remember the last time they opened up and played Weber State, and it, they struggled a little bit to get it going in that game. Um I mean, I think if you're Utah, you want to see, there's a couple things you want to see as they, they kind of work out the kinks in this game. Um, I think the defense is going to be really good. You know, I think they're, you know, the, 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 they should only really give up points if they have some jailbreak big play where they make some obvious error, um, at least the first team or when, you know, they've got the backups in um, later on. 
Um, but if you're used to, I mean, it's the offense. I mean, you need to see the offense really get it go. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to like a couple of years ago. Um, if you recall when, um, was it Sacramento state was playing ASU? Oh. They just kept getting, they kept getting yeah. pressure yeah. It was gross. <laughs> I remember on ASU's quarterback. You're like, man, ASU's offensive line is really bad. Um, you want to see, I mean, Utah's offensive line start struggled in pass protection last season. Like I, I want to see them. I don't want to see any pressure put on Brewer. Um, and you, you just, I mean, Utah absolutely has the talent. And, and I, I do think that, um, you know, they're a seed. They should absolutely be able to, you know, scheme their way to some points here. Um, and you want, you want to see them be able to sort of effectively move the ball here. Cause like they graded out at 73 in effective pass last year. And certainly, you know, nearly anyone should be an improvement over Bentley, but you know, I, I do need to see it a little bit. They struggled in drive efficiency in particular. I mean, they just could not put together long drives to put up points. So you want to see them be able to do that in this game. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind, Weber state is a, uh, a they were last year, they finished in the top 10 in the FCS. So this isn't a, like a nickel state who I, I forget what, I think it was Oregon that played nickel state. They beat the crap out of them. So, you know, this might be a team that will push back a little bit before they roll over. Um, the, the two things I'm looking for are how are the running backs, right? So they got two transfers in that I think are going to be fascinating. They had the kid from LSU. And I think the guy from um, Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken, it was another, it was a big 12 team. Um, or maybe it was Texas. But in any case, that you know, two really highly touted transfers there, and obviously uh, the Ty Jordan, um, you know, his passing away, uh, which has just really rocked that program. And I just love to see. I mean, there's still tributes going out for him, um, which which is awesome and and just really encouraging. They're gonna have to fill that void because it was a big one. And I just like to see how fun the the new toys are there in the running back core. I think the other thing, too, is, is Utah going to throw to any wide receiver not named Britton Covey? Because they haven't the last couple of years. Um, you know, <laughs> most of those passes are to Brent Keithy and Cole Fotheringham. And I really want to see some wide receivers uh, on the outside get a, get a touch or two, particularly against Weber State, where you would assume that they're going to be bigger, faster, stronger. And, um, and I just don't know what tools they have on the outside right now, particularly because they've had some transfers. Um, I really like Brian. Uh, I think it was Thompson, the, the, the guy that transferred to ASU. My apologies. The, the next time we do this, I'll have all the, the depth charts in front of me, but um, I really liked him. He's gone. So are they going to pass to anybody besides those big giant, awesome players <laughs> you know, that are going to be streaking up the center or are they going to finally get it to the outside? No, and it certainly feels like they kind of have to, right? I mean, like the offense, I mean, their offense is going to feel pretty limited if it's Covey in the tight ends because those guys are going to be, you know, in the middle of the field. And if you really can, you know, cover, you know, not even, you know, not even have to play wall uh, coverage on the outside and have your safety help out over, just have your safeties hanging out in the middle of the field. Like that's a, you know, that makes them a little easier to defend. I, th- I think that they, you likely will see them try to get some of that going and get those shots going out to the outside at least somewhat in this game. I don't, I don't expect Utah to have a great outside. I mean, have a great outside pass. I just don't, you know, Yeah, that's um, true, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of, I mean, but it's sort of, I mean, it's, I mean, this goes back a couple offensive coordinators. I think it's more of a recruiting and development problem to be frank. Um, but I just, I, you know, it's like, you know, these like every year, you know, like where Rich Rod or, you know, Kevin Sumlin would say Arizona was going to use their tight ends. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, right. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that sort of goes for like, you know, Utah's outside wide receivers. 
I mean, they've it's not like they haven't had talent. They've had a number of four star players that are tall and big yeah. and strong. They've had transfers. I know that Texas Tech kid came in there a few years ago. So it's not like they haven't had um, the bodies to work with. It's just you know, it is after what like seventy years of, of Whittingham, you kind of are who you are. So um, I'm just curious to see how that offense is able to move. I think the defense will be fine. So if, uh, I just I don't really don't have um, any questions on that front, particularly against Weber State. Um, they may not need it. I mean, like, you know, they, you know, at times you could almost describe some of Ludwig's scheme as almost like a little bit of flex bone. There's going to be some like tight end un- end around this year. that could be pretty fun to watch. So they will find ways to get, you know, ball, you know, the ball into the tight end and, uh, and Covey's hands and the, and the running backs hands that are a little unconventional too. And honestly too, I mean, like if everybody's watching the inside of the field with the tight ends and, and, and Covey, you know, like a wheel route to the outside. If either of those running backs can catch the ball, it should be a lot of fun. It strikes me, Ludwig strikes me kind of like Carl Icahn, right? Icahn will be, it can be just an amazing investor. And then sometimes he just does stuff that's way too complicated. Like, you know, you try to yeah. take over oh, yeah. Universal and make yeah. it a SPAC and you're just like, can you just invest in like, I don't know, Apple? Or yeah. I don't know, like, why does this have to be harder than it really is? <laughs> it's like, it's why, I mean, the, the like, I always find the argument silly if you say like, you know, Ludwig's a good offensive coordinator. Cause I think he's got the track record to say that. Um, but people always jump in. They're like, as if you're saying he's a great offensive coordinator and there's definitely plenty of evidence of him stubbing his toes <laughs> where he is not, <laughs> you know? Um, but he's like, I said, like he's, he's got a pretty solid track record of putting together, you know, good offenses over his career, including, you know, two years ago at Utah. So I, I think they're going to be, I, I think they'll be better, you know, just, just not having Bentley back there and the offensive line. Like I said, if they can clean up some of their pass protection, things should improve. But I mean, I don't think you're going to get a good test of it this week, but I mean, watch out because if the offensive line hasn't improved in pass protection, Brewer, man, I mean, you'd almost maybe have rising in there with his athleticism. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So be curious to see what happens there. Let's move on. We spent like an hour on, <laughs> on Weaver State yeah. against Utah. We're just so excited that the season started. So we had to, you know, give the, that first game the most time. Um, let's go over to Thursday, 7.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Southern Utah at or uh, Arizona State at Arizona State. Now, this Southern Utah team, as I'm looking, Rob, I'm looking over these FCS standings. And uh, I do not see a Southern Utah in the top 25. So this should be um, just a straight up. Yes. Yeah. Ass whooping for Arizona State. Let's, uh, you know, what what are some things that you're looking at? What did they just lose to San Jose State by? They just played San Jose State last week. Oh, that's right. They got waxed. That that was a pretty rough, pretty rough outing. I think it was like 40 to something. One of the things I'm looking for, Rob. 45, 14. 40. Oh, they scored 14. Good for them. I'm going to be looking for who the coach is. Uh, no, I kid. Um, what, what, uh, <laughs> what, what, what are you going to be looking for here with ASU? If they come and haul Antonio Pierce off like mid quarter. Like. Uh, yeah. What, what are you looking for here, Rob? I mean, I, what I really want to see, because as, as you're doing the warm ups here, I mean, Arizona State's offense in limited data certainly improved last year, grading out in 30 in beta rank. Again, in, in quite limited data. But man, like they're they were number five in effective rush. They were at number eighty-seven in effective pass. I mean, I, I they're going to be able to run the ball pretty well. I think they return a lot of the offensive line that was graded out so well in run block, block blocking last season. You know, I do expect them. They have some very athletic wide receivers. Um, you know, on on the you know on the roster. 
uh, with all that talent, like they're just, they got to try to get Daniels going, you know I mean? And this, and this is an opportunity in particular, I think for them to try to get Daniels going in a rhythm, um, you know, and I, I mean, you know, Arizona state doesn't, as, as I recall, I don't think they have anybody overwhelming in non-conference play, you know, BYU on the 18th, UNLV after this. So like, I don't think, I mean, I, I do expect them to try to get something going. They, I mean, they may just lean in like UCLA and just run the football, but I mean, I don't think there's any point in like holding onto your playbook that much for, for BYU down the road. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I want to see how good these wide receivers are because they have recruited quite well at that position. Yep. So what do we have with Badger? And um, I forget some of the other guys they even have. It's funny because uh, it was another son. Uh, was it uh, Ocho Cinco's son that's on that? T- and he was like, you know, a four-star commit. And he was like fifth or sixth on the depth chart when it came to wide receivers. I mean, that's how loaded that, you know, on, on paper that core is. And I just want to, I want to, I want to be able to see it. I want to see Daniels um, with like a 65% completion rate and, and not just, you know, little outs to the left and the right. I wanted to see him be able to, to throw the ball around a little yep. bit on a, on a probably a pretty bad secondary. We already know that they can run the ball. I mean, now some of these stats were a bit hidden last year because they played Arizona and like, <laughs> Like they yeah. like Herm was like legitimately trying to not score, and Arizona was like, "No, please, please run seventy yards." No, down we'll the field fumble again. it. We'll fumble it again, and here's the ball at our ten. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, so I, I do think that some of that run attack is probably a little overrated, but not, but but just like I still think it's yeah. very good, uh, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. So I don't really want to watch any of that. I just want to see the ball through the air, two passers. I think the defense is going to be good. The only other thing I'm I'm just interested in, and not even concerned about is Jermaine Lole is out for the season um, up on that line. I want to see who else fills in for him and, um, and how much pressure they're going to put on the the quarterback, but that's really it. Anything, anything else for Southern Utah? I mean, and- I don't expect them to, to punt a lot, but if they do, I mean, I'm going to see how their new punter looks because Turk transferred. Oh, that's right. That's because he wouldn't get the, because he wouldn't get the shot. <laughs> Maybe you already got it. You know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and I get it. Like Lincoln Riley's got national title aspirations this year. So he's like, sure, come to Oklahoma. But uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll take we'll take a look uh, on those things for ASU and another FCS game here, Rob, that we have coming up. This one's a Friday at six p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Northern Colorado at Colorado. Uh, Northern Colorado, not a top twenty-five team, at least last year in the FCS standing. So this should be a pretty. F- uh, just a great opportunity for Colorado to see what they have uh, under center. Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing for this Colorado team, right? Like they graded out at 30 and effective rush last season, 77 and effective pass. Uh, I think this offense, they are going to have to be able to demonstrate the ability to run the ball, particularly over a little bit of a longer season than they had last season. Right. Teams are going to quickly be able to, to figure out if Colorado can't throw the ball very well. You know, that's, that's really the, I mean, the key I would say in this game, right? I mean, they're there. They've got to break in the new quarterback. Um, they've got to, you know, try to show what they can put on tape, but like Colorado, I mean, they, they might keep it a little vanilla because they have a very difficult non-conference coming right up. Um, you know, starting off with a and M and then Minnesota, um, you know, they might not be in a big hurry to, to bust things out. I mean, they, they certainly will want to get Lewis going, but, um, I expect them to, to probably lean in on running the football and, Get, get Lewis some seasoning, but probably play a little vanilla. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the things with the numbers with them last year, and this is the thing that I'm going to be focused on, is how good is that secondary? 
because uh, I think it's bad, but um, but maybe not. Like the numbers didn't quite show them to have an awful secondary. And I know that f- uh, our friends down at the Freeballing Podcast and a lot of Colorado fans were kind of excited about some of the secondary and the and the corners that they had there. So I just I'm you know I just like to see how good their coverage is on a bad team um, and just whether it's weird or not- though. I mean, because like they had such a weird year too, right? Like they played. Uh, they definitely got UCLA, a team that definitely ran the ball much better than <laughs> through it. Yeah. They, they got San Diego State, a team that is utterly offensively inept, particularly throwing the football. And then when they got Texas in the bowl game, Texas realized, I mean, and Texas did throw the ball around on them uh, too, but they also kind of realized like, oh man, like we've got this Bijan Robinson kid. Let's just give him the football. <laughs> um so like I, I mean, they graded out at 24 and beta rank and effective pass last year. That's, that's a better number than their run number at 64. I'm interested to see what that looks like over sort of like a full season's worth of data and how that holds up because they, 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 they played all those young guys a couple of years ago and were just awful among the worst secondaries in college football. You were expecting them to to pay for their lump, you know, to, to be able to benefit from their lumps. Um, and they, they may, you know, the small sample looked a little better last year. I, I'm with you. I want to see what they yeah, that that's fair. I, I I didn't mean to say that they were bad. I just don't think that they're top twenty five. I think they're probably in the forties. Yeah, and that's yeah, fine. I think that's fair. Like I'd take that if I were a Colorado fan because I think their front seven is quite good. I mean that defense, if the secondary can hold, I mean that that might keep them, you know, scrapping around, you know, and maybe knock off a, a team or two that they weren't expected to if they're able to move the ball. So yeah, that that that's something I would be looking out for. Uh, anything else for Colorado? No. I mean, I think that's, that's really, I mean, that's really it, right? I mean, there's, there's, they're playing, I mean, Northern Colorado, I've, I've been to Greeley. It's a beautiful campus. Greeley smells terrible though. So don't go to Greeley. (laughs) Uh, All right, everybody, we're going to get to the real games and we're going to do that right after this. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. And so is college football Saturday, nine o'clock a.m. Pacific time on Fox Sports One. I will be up in Las Vegas in the front row watching this game. Stanford, a two and a half point underdog against Kansas State in Dallas in Jerry World. The over under is 53. And this game is fascinating, Rob. I went through not not just beta rank, but we really looked at every team. I know you've been doing full previews on uh, the Sharp College Football page on YouTube. And the the more that I like dug into this game, the more fascinated I got. Which is kind of funny because like not, neither of these teams are going to like light the world on fire, but just no. <laughs> they're like kind of perfect for each other. You know, they're like your two awkward friends that you're like you all should play chess and like you know get married or something. Um, like this is kind of yeah. my my version of that. 
uh, where where do you like? Well, I guess the first thing to start with is their quarterback has been there for like seven years. Kansas State's Skylar Thompson. Um, yeah, and he's kind injured of a bit last season, so their their offense might improve with him back. Yeah, yeah, got injured. Um, but before that, right, forty to sixty four, six hundred yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, previous year he did about twenty three hundred yards, twelve touchdowns, five interceptions. Like, and he's been very steady, Eddie. And this is like. When we think of problems, I think of, which is so bizarre to say, but I think of Stanford secondary. Um, Kansas State, I think, is going to be able to throw this ball like early and often, and they have a good running back route. Yeah, I mean, I, I Kansas State, they, they're running that North Dakota State offense, right, which hasn't translated super well. Um, you know, I talked about this when I previewed Kansas State. That offense hasn't translated either in Laramie. Um, where Craig Bull is, has implemented it, or you know, in Manhattan, um, you know, they graded out at 60 in beta rank last year. They weren't far off of that the year before. You know, far better at running the ball. You're going to see some power, you know, run with this team. You're definitely going to see them line up in some two tight end sets. Um, you know, there. But you know, I, I I think with Klein back, they've got an opportunity to be better than they were last season, in particular. Um, you know, the, the calling card, what has translated and worked pretty well for Kansas state and Wyoming, um, you know, thus far as the North Dakota, North Dakota state defense, um, they had a little bit of a fall off last season, um, you know, defensively, oh, I'm sorry. They graded out at 60 on defense. They grew, it was a little bit of a fall off last season on defense, but they've been very good the year before. Um, I, I just think that they're, they're, they're like, I think that if you look at it and I think like if, if you're Stanford, the engine of the Stanford team was throwing the football around, right? Kansas state wasn't great in particular in effective pass last season at 81, even with everything Stanford lost. And it's not inconsiderable, you know, do, do you, do you think that, I mean, like I, I still think Stanford's probably going to be able to throw the football around a bit here. I just don't think that they can stop Kansas state and Kansas state's not a juggernaut offensively. They were at 50, sorry, 50 last year on offense. So I think they were at 50 the year before that with Klein back. I think they can improve on their 55 and effective pass. Stanford was just God awful against the, the pass last year. 91 and effective pass 79 and effective rush gave up a ton of big plays. I don't know. I mean, like I really, I mean like, like beta rank has, this is really close too. I mean, beta rank has this, um, you know, Kansas state is a three point favorite, you know, on the neutral site. It's there. It's, you know, Stanford, Stanford is often playing in front of a hostile crowd at home. This will definitely be a <laughs> pro Kansas state crowd. Um, I just, I, I mean, I think if, you know, if you had to lean one way or the other, like you might take Kansas state, they're probably less likely to turn the ball over in this game. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be close. Um, I'm I want to take the over, right? The over is fifty three, and I totally hear you on that. I think Stanford is not going to be able to stop. It, this isn't a prolific Kansas State offense. Um, they, you know, they don't have really a proven wide wide receiver that comes back. They have some guys in the you know two hundred fifty yard arena, um, but I still think that they'll be able to throw the ball to whoever whoever that is. It might actually be Daniel uh, Matarbebe, <laughs> like if, if that rings a bell yeah. for Pac-12 fans. He's been bouncing around. He's like a former five-star, four-star kind of guy um, that transferred from USC over to Illinois. Now he's back over to Kansas State. I really, did, like, you know, if he hasn't done it in four years, I don't think he's going to do it in the fifth. So, uh, but I do think that they'll throw to the tight ends. They'll have a couple wide receiving options. Deuce Vaughn will be able to run the ball. He's pretty good. 
Um, he had and, and is able to catch out of the backfield. I think if there's one player to keep a lookout for on the offense, it's Vaughn. 600 yards on the ground and then 400 yards receiving. So he slips out of that backfield, and Stanford better be better be ready for that. Um, on the flip side. I think Stanford's going to be able to score on Kansas State. I think they have a good running back. I think they can, I I really oh, yeah. I think the offensive line is better than it has been in the last couple of years, which isn't saying that they're back to where they used to be, but I do think that they're going to particularly because Kansas State lost their top defensive tackle and defensive end. So you just I think they're going to be able to move that ball forward and as long as their quarterback, whoever it is, is able to connect with some really talented wide receivers. I think this over is going to get, I think they're going to, I mean, I think it's going to get to 60 points. I just don't think either team's going to be able to stop each other. Yeah. I mean, Kansas state is at 112 in returning production on the defensive side of the ball. And they weren't a great defense last year, yeah. but I do, I do like the scheme um, that they run. And I think that I, I think that, you know, like I would give Kansas state a slight edge, but Stanford could absolutely show up and, you know, I, I really do think Tavita Pritchard's an underrated offensive coordinator in, in around the country and in the Pac-12. Um, and I think if they are able, to, you know, with the new offensive line coach and if they are able to run the football, they could be a very dangerous offense with what he's been able to establish throwing the ball the last couple of seasons. The only other thing to keep in mind is that Stanford's going to be playing this game at like seven o'clock Pacific time in the morning. Right. This is a 9 a.m. kickoff. They have to go to Dallas and that that that's something you really need to weigh in if you're going to cap this game. So uh, I still think they're going to be able to score. I'm actually going to take the points because I, you know, when a shootout, like I'm just going to take them. And I think this popped up from two and a half to three, but I'll just say two and a half because that's what we put in our, our list. I'm not super confident in this, but I'm going to take Stanford. How about you? I'm taking Kansas State. I think Stanford's likely more likely to turn it over. I think Kansas State will be steady, Eddie, and I'll think they'll be able to score. Yeah, that's a good call. Particularly, I just we still don't know who the quarterback is. They have like an and/or these five people, so <laughs> we'll take a look and see who that is. Moving on, 11 a.m. Another early game uh, on Saturday on the Pac-12 Network. Fresno State, who we saw in Week Zero, was a 20 and a half point favorite on the road at Autzen, playing Oregon. The over/under is 63 and a half, and uh, this Fresno team, I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't want to have my my opinions swayed too much by them playing UConn <laughs> because UConn sucked. Oh no! I mean, like we, I was going back. There's a there's a, a data scientist at Pro Football Focus that I'm friends with, and we were kind of chatting about uh, needing to manually adjust the models to handle teams that didn't play last season, like New Mexico state or Yukon. Um, because Holy moly, did they have a bad day? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, look, I mean, this Fresno state team, you know, the the offense has certainly been improving under Kalen DeBoer. They have the Washington transfers, um, you know, the, you know, present day. And I, I, you know, the offense last season graded out at 41 an effective pass one Oh nine an effective rush. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I think, I, I still think Oregon is, is, should be a substantial favorite in this game. I don't think that we should take much away from UConn. I don't think that Oregon's offense is going to in any way be slowed down in the way UConn's offense was and, and really give Fresno state just gift after gift after gift too. Um, and, and they absolutely, Oregon's absolutely got the offensive or the defensive competence with the Reuter there and the, the kinds of players that they've recruited plus experience. I just, I think this is going to, I mean, I, I like Oregon still to, to, to roll with three touchdowns. I mean, what to watch here is you want to see them. Fresno state doesn't run the ball particularly well. You want to yeah. see Oregon 
absolutely keep them from running the ball because that was a major problem for the Ducks last year. Yeah, but I think I would almost put it on the other end. You're right, but I think the bigger concern is can that secondary stop Jay Kaner from throwing the ball around because he's pretty good. Uh, one thing to keep yeah. in mind is he did go down. Oh, he is, yeah. Uh, in that in that UConn game, so I would just keep an eye on that to see what the injury report is. I was trying to s- see anything that mentioned how he was. I'm assuming he's going to be fine for this game, but I mean, last year, 2,000 yards, 65% completion. And this is probably in like seven games, 14 touchdowns, five interceptions. Like, what what is this secondary? Um, because they lose a lot uh, to the NFL. They lost a lot last year to the NFL. They just didn't play and didn't get drafted yet. So, I mean, th- there are going to be some bodies in here that I'm, I'm just curious whether or not they're going to be able to hang with a couple uh, players. Uh, you know, the, you had, was it Ty Jordan come over from Washington? Now, he only got one pass. So, like, I really don't think yeah. that's the focus. The focus should be uh, Jalen Cropper is a guy that had 500 yards and five touchdowns. He's six foot. And then Carrick Wheatfall. Uh, is a big, big, tall six-two. You know, I think they they have some players here that can catch the ball, and I think the offense is going to be able to move if Oregon doesn't have its defensive act together. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think if the Ducks really do struggle defensively, yeah, I think this. I, I think DeBoer is a very good offensive mind. Um, I think he. I I would put money on this Fresno State job being a stepping stone for him. Um, you know, on his way up, and then, um, you know, like. Oregon, I mean, it's, it's quite possible that they're still working out some kinks. You know, I don't expect Oregon. I mean, even with Joe Moorhead, who is, can be quite exotic. I don't expect them to dial it up given who they're playing after. This. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're probably going to stick to a vanilla game plan no matter what. But I mean, I think with, with Moorhead, like even a vanilla game plan often has, is going to have some wrinkles in it. And and Brown isn't going to leave. I mean, the problem with Shuck wasn't necessarily his, you know, the, his QB skills. It was his reads, right? And uh, Brown is, is likely going to make the right reads and, and, and keep the offense, you know, uh, track it along. Yeah. I, one other thing to keep in mind are the battles in the trenches. You had uh, Fresno State have some issues in pass protection, <laughs> uh, but they were also third in the yeah. country in sacks last year. So, you know, I, I think, I think Oregon's offensive line is going to be fine, but this is a good test for them as they go into the, the shoe and try to play uh, Ohio state. I, I just think it's a nice, this is a really good warm up game. I'm going to take Fresno uh, 20 and a half points. And I, I think it's going to be a little bit vanilla. And I do think that they're going to be able to score 14 or something. Um, so I, I'm just curious to see how many points Oregon puts up. Uh, that puts me in a little bit of precarious position, right? Because that makes the the game like thirty five fourteen, you know. But I I just I'm I, that's a lot of points for a pretty seasoned offense and a terrible defense. The one thing with the defense though is they're bad at stopping the run, but it's not like Oregon's really lit the world on fire with their run running game. And I think they were like forty again in beta rank. They've been they've been kind of sitting in that oatmeal <laughs> of forty in the last like three yeah. years, right? I mean, you expected them to, I mean, they replaced all five offensive linemen, you know, last season, you expected some fall off. I think I, I just think, you know, I think Oregon, I mean, beta rank, I mean, I mean, I feel good. Beta rank is off the right around Vegas on a lot of these games. <laughs> so 21.6, uh, for, for Oregon here at home, I, I, I think Oregon can still cover that. I think they still can. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I'm not betting this at all. Um, I, d- I did want to pick it, though, so I'll probably pick Fresno on that front. And I don't like one, one more thing on Oregon's run game, though. Right. This is week or year four of Cristobal. Right. Yeah. And I, and I know they, that so. he has more head in. But 
like, aren't you kind of what you are after a while? Like if, if that run game has just been, I mean, it, it's not like they, they haven't recruited really well. They have a bunch of like four and five star blue chip players at the running back position. Um, and obviously their starter is quite good, but it's just kind of, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's like, I've just never been really impressed with the running game under Cristobal um, since he's been at Oregon. I just, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's going to be that much better this year. It's a tough one because I think beyond all the offensive line grades that they get on tape, they never met. They have yet to match up, you know, some of the tape evaluations with actual production on the field. I mean, that's just, I think that's a fair assessment of them to this point, particularly for the offensive line, even as dominant as the offensive line has been, they still struggle sometimes yeah. running the football. I, I guess I overspoke a little bit. Like, you know, can they get to 30 or like, I, I just, I don't see us. Oh no, this offense has got to get, I mean, this year, I think for them to really hit where they're projected at, you know, and, and, and make a run that they, I think people feel like they can, particularly in year two and with a full off season with Moorhead. I mean, this offense has to be knocking on the door of the top 10. And that means either the passing game really has to develop um, or the running game really has to bounce back. I think, I think, I think it will. I mean, I think last year at the offense, they were just in a funk. Okay. Let's move on. The next game, 2 p.m. Pacific time on Pac-12 Network. This is on Saturday. San Jose State is a 14 points. 14 points, Rob. That's that's come down from, I think, 17. That was, that was a lot higher going into this game. 14-point underdog on the road at USC. The over-under is 59.5. And, and the San Jose State team, you've had your eye on for a little while. Yeah, I mean, they won the Mountain West last year and then went and lost in the bowl game to, to Ball State. But, you know, a good team. Brett Brennan was in the running for the Arizona job. You know, they, they like, you know, like everybody in the Pac-12 played a little bit of a weird schedule last year. Almost no non-conference games and a pretty short conference schedule. You know, they the defense graded out pretty well, but, you know, weren't particularly good against the pass last year. 62 in effective pass. Um, and, of course, USC comes in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not in any way intimidating running the football, um, but able to to throw the ball pretty well. Um, what's the, the 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 thing to watch, of course, when you get to San Jose State is the offense, 45 and beta rank last season, 16 an effective pass. Nick Starkle's your quarterback there. Um, you know, and it I, I don't I mean I, I still think I mean if, if USC is gonna be you know take a step forward this season, the defense is gonna have to step up in your two into Orlando too. And they're going to have to be good against the pass. And this is going to be a test. I think this is going to be a test for them because I think Brennan and his staff do a good job of developing players and, and trying to scheme them open. Yeah, this is a good test for a couple of reasons. The first is Starkle's pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, 2,200 yards. the SEC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Texas A&M, then Arkansas. He's played a lot in the, in the SEC and multiple teams. Uh, A&M, Arkansas to San Jose State. 2,200 yards. Uh, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions. The thing that's interesting, Rob, is, you know, that bowl game against uh, Ball State was kind of like a COVID bowl. There's a big COVID problem that that happened with San yep. Jose State. And um, before that game, I think he threw three interceptions, Starkle did. Um, before the game, he was 16-4, and four, like in terms of touchdown to interception ratio. So I, I would kind of erase that Ball State game just a little bit just due to circumstances. They, they Ball did- State was pretty good last year. I mean, I... They were also a decent team. Oh yeah, they made your top fifty, which I was really impressed with. You know, uh, David Letterman would be would be proud. Uh, <laughs> the the thing that also is interesting here is the defense does get to the backfield. They had some good some good defensive ends. Kate uh, Kate Hall with ten sacks in seven games, and uh, Villamani Fahoko, um, which I'm, I'm. It's so funny. I look at all these Mountain West teams, and 
in my mind, I'm assuming they're like little cousins and brothers of the, the, the even though they're probably the same age of the players with the same last names in the Pac-12. You know, you have a lot of Fajokos and Tongas and, yeah. you know, it's, it's pretty funny to see these names that just I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that player from three years ago. Um, anyway, th- those guys are good. Uh, Fajoko has 12 and a half sacks. So that offensive line is pretty bad for USC. And I don't I mean, they did get a new coach. Let's see if he was able to improve because it was kind of of a disaster last year. And, you know, if if you have a team that can throw the ball um, and can get in the backfield, like you're starting to test a couple of the areas where USC has had a couple issues. Yeah. I mean, I I think something to watch here. I think USC's defensive line could be really good this season. Um, You know, the question, of course, is do they have anybody um, they can play two gap. They didn't last year when Tufele opted out uh, to go to the NFL and it really showed because they struggled stopping the run. Um, but I think they're going to be pretty good rushing the passer. And I, I think that it, it might in that case be able to provide a little bit of a long day for Starkle. Does USC come out and, and, and try to show that they can run the football? They, they do. I mean, USC, you know, they're going to call a lot of runs, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they're not, they're certainly not gonna, they're not gonna over the last couple of seasons, even though they're so much better at throwing the ball than they are, um, uh, running it, they still call a substantial number of runs. And so I just, you know, they're, they're, you're going to get an opportunity. They should be able to, I mean, they should, you say this with USC, they should be able to run the football. I mean, and USC doesn't have like some massive playbook, you know, like Carol, you know, he's, he's, he's not, full, you know, Mike Leach air raid, but you know, he's got an, an, an air raid esque playbook. So it's not some massive, massive playbook. So like, they're not going to be like hiding concepts, you know, too much for what they might do for saving Stanford in the next week. Yeah. I mean, the one thing USC was one Oh six in 2020 running the ball and San Jose state was 24. So yeah, <laughs> just, just, you know, if you really want to run to the teeth of the San Jose vaunted defense, then, uh, I think that uh, San Jose State would would readily invite that. All that said, oh I'm yeah, the- it's a win. Anytime USC chooses to run the football, that is a win for the other team. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and like the, the, one one other thing to mention too is I know that there have been some questions about the secondary in the past, but it's more because of injury. I mean, a lot of yeah. those core. I mean, they, they were trotting out like walk ons at the the core. So as long as that secondary is safe, I just I it's safe. Um, you know, uh, healthy. <laughs> safe. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to take USC. I, I'll, I'll lay the points. I'll lay the 14. Um, I think 14 is a good number. Um, and if this was a little bit higher, I'd probably take San Jose State, but I'll take the Trojans. How about you? It's tough. So Beta Rank doesn't love the Trojans at all coming into this year. It basically says, like, yeah, you got a lot of talent, but you never translate it. <laughs> so um, it has. USC projected only as a little more than a seven point favorite in this game at home. Um, And I think San Jose state is pretty good. And I, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think the, you know, Brennan and and company are are good enough at scheming that, um, you know, they could catch Orlando or, you know, out on some blitzes. I'm, I'm going to take San Jose state here, man. If, if USC is going to win, but I think it could be, especially like if 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 USC turns the ball over, this is going to be close. If, if this if this game gets into single digits, they should just fire Helton now. I mean, I, I know San Jose is good. I get it. Like, but still, like, right? I oh mean, no, this could be this could be Clay Helton's, you know, like Champaign, Illinois moment, right? Like, it could just feel 
I mean, like a game that's like in single digits towards, you know, the fourth quarter, um, you know, or even if they win by 10, you know, and like they've still got the starters in and it's not a walkover. I think people are going to forget that San Jose State was pretty good last year and I think does have a really competent coaching staff, but still. No, I, I hear you. All right, let's move on here. Four o'clock p.m. Pacific time on Fox Sports 1, Oregon State, a seven-point underdog going into West Lafayette to play Purdue, the over-under 66, and that's popped up. I, I saw a book that had 67 and a half, Rob. Lots of points they're anticipating in this game, and uh, Purdue isn't that good. Purdue is not that good of a team. I do not understand every like I'm not like I'm not making the argument that Oregon State is some like juggernaut coming into the season. We haven't projected at 46. That is on the wrong side of the middle line of the power five of the median. That said, like Purdue was awful last year, and it's not like they got you know like a you know just a, an incredible amount of great players that transferred in <laughs> that are going to give you you know, faith and this defense, you know, they agreed out at 113 in returning production. Um, you know, and you know, the offense was, was awful last year in 99 uh in beta rank. Or, I'm sorry, the defense was awful last year in 99 in beta rank. Their offense was only at 57. They could throw the ball around a fair amount last year, yeah. uh 14 an effective pass, 120 an effective rush. Um, but I think I mean I just I don't understand <clears throat> having seven points worth of faith in this Purdue squad because the defense was, was so, so bad. I mean, and even last year, you know, with the troubles that they had throwing the ball and they did have trouble throwing the ball last year, um, you know, Lindgren and Mahalchek and, and Smith put together a pretty decent running game. I mean, 23 and effective rush for the Beavers. Um, I think they're going to be able to run the ball in this game. And then, you know, maybe Neuer can pick his spots, but I just have a little more faith in them and, and, and special teams. They have an advantage too, but I just have a little more faith in them in this game. I, I think Purdue's offense is, is really one dimensional. I kind of want the under in this game. Now that Neuer's the quarterback, yeah. right? Like who's going to run the ball Neuer. I mean, like he's fine. I mean, he will, and he'll try to truck somebody in the, in the face, which God bless him. But I mean, uh, you don't have to have the greatest running back in the world behind, you know, a pretty well coached offensive line. Yeah. I just, I, I, if, if Jebbia was the quarterback here, I would be thinking about the over because I don't think either team is going to be able to stop each other. One of the things that gives me pause when, you know, I think I'm going to take Oregon state and I'm just going to take the seven points, but that secondary is probably awful. And uh, you mentioned Oregon state having issues throwing the quarterback that that was not the case with Purdue. In fact, they're like, I think this is going to be a super fun game to watch because um, Plummer and O'Connell, the two quarterbacks, they've gone back and forth. They have like a dual system. Um, they're good. I think Plummer's, I think Plummer's getting the nod. I think he's been named the starter. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, but even if he didn't, right? Like O'Connell was seven to seven touchdowns, two interceptions, 65%. Like yeah. they have two good options there and they have wide yeah. receivers. David Bell is awesome. Thousand yards, 12, uh, uh, 12 yards per catch, seven touchdowns. Milton Wright, solid. Uh, they throw it at tight ends. They have a running back. Like I, I just think that offense can move. And is Oregon State going to stop it? I just and it makes me worried because I don't know how well they're going to be able to throw the ball down the field now, um, unless Smith really saw something that we didn't see from Neuer when he was at Colorado. 
No, I mean, I just, I don't think either team is necessarily going to be able to stop what the other team is going to do well here. I mean, I, I really do think like Oregon state, like, I mean, I, I think Oregon state's going to run out a fine running back. There's somebody on this Oregon state roster is going to get 150 yards in this game. <laughs> you know, like I just, I know. I just think the, I think the offensive line and scheme are that good, you know, like compared to what Purdue's got. But then, I mean, to your point, like, are they able, is Neuer able to hit his spots, you know, for guys coming open, being able to key off the run game? I think so. I mean, I don't, but I don't think he's going to be like Jake Luton. I just, I'm just, it's not that, I mean, I, you, you could talk me into Purdue being a slight favorite here. Beta rank has the Beavers as a slight favorite, even on the road. Um, you talk me into that, but I don't, I just don't see seven points. I, like th- this is the, the the first week is the worst because we don't know we it's particularly Anything. coming out yeah especially after COVID I mean like that I was gonna do the Pactual Survivor Pool this year and like it's just gonna be a mess like I think some teams are gonna get COVID and we don't know half of the what half of these teams are able to bring and we just didn't see anything last year ah I um I'm gonna begrudgingly take you know what I don't trust it no I'm I'm gonna take Purdue I don't trust. I don't trust Neuer on the road, oh, but seven is a lot. The problem, the problem is like you attack, you attack. Well, you can attack Purdue any any way you want, but the better way to attack him is through the air. And is Neuer going to put up two hundred yards? Maybe he'll get two hundred. I mean, I just I, I think that I think Lindgren and Smith are better at scheme Giovanni, and I think that for what we saw from Neuer's limited skill set, he will be able to showcase more of it. You know, they return 89% of their production. I mean, that counts in Jebbia from last year and, and the other quarterback too, but that's still, a, they're still returning a lot on this offense. Like I just, I think this offense could be good even with Neuer you know, at the helm. Gross. All right. I'll, I'll take the point. The bet here is the under, like I'm, I'm definitely taking the under. Um, I'll take the points and I hate that I'm doing it. Um, I will hope to never do this again in my entire life is uh t- take Sam Neuer on the road. Um, but I, I will do it. Cause I, I do think that they're going to be able to score. So um, I think this ends up being a shootout, but like a low shootout. I, I might go back on, I might go back and change that, but I mean, this game, this game and the Stanford game are the ones where I mean, like in some ways they will actually weigh pretty heavily on the pack 12 throughout the season, but like yeah. they are, cause you're throwing, you know, two teams that are pretty evenly matched as far as how they rank in their conference order against each other. Right. I mean, Purdue's not particularly good. They haven't had a good defense since year one. Yeah. Uh, when Brom was there. Ugh. you know, I'm going to, now I'm going to switch. I'm going to take Purdue. Um, and I'm going to take the under and I can, right, totally... I'm, t- I'm taking the beeves. Yeah. Well, I hope they win. I really do. But, um, I don't feel good about this pick, but I just, um, that's where I'm going. All right. We have three more games coming up and two of them are super, super interesting. Let's get to them right after this. All right, we're back. We were talking about interesting games, Rob, but this one is not that, uh, we have Montana at Washington, five o'clock PM on the Pac-12 network Saturday. Uh, anything you're watching for with the, when it comes to Washington? Uh, I mean, do they throw the football around? Do they hold back? I mean, Montana's not bad. But, you know, do they sort of hold back, you know, with what they're going to try to do offensively? They might. I mean, you know, they should be able to run the ball pretty effectively in this game. I expect them to do that. 
Um, you know, Newton should have a lot of carries and a lot of yards and, and so should some of their other backs. Um, but what is, you know, when they do uncork it with, you know, Dylan Morris, what does it look like? You know, and then they, they, they are probably sitting, they, they are probably going to sit on quite a bit, you know, and, and try not to open things up too much. I would imagine the defense should be fine and, you know, really slow down Montana. It's funny that Montana was a top 10 team last year and they went two and oh, so <laughs> like, you know, uh, I guess there's that. Yeah. I, all this, all the stuff that you said is, uh, I, I, the, you know, who's replacing ZTF and are they going to be able to get, um, yeah. to, like, I would just hope that they're able to get to the quarterback all day and every day in this game. But, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it. We'll, we'll, we'll give you lots of time next week here. Uh, dog fans. <laughs> when you play Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We'll we'll make the, we'll we'll slide that to the top of it when we we cover it next week. Let's go to five thirty p.m. Uh, Pacific time on Fox. LSU is a three and a half point favorite on the road at UCLA. The over under is sixty six, and this this is a, an entirely new LSU team. Rob, uh, new yes. defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. Man. I like this is one of those games where I just I don't really quite know what to do because L- UCLA looked really good against Hawaii, but Hawaii could be a mess. And LSU, like I think they were on a ten-hour bus ride to the west. I mean, it's like it's a. To- I mean, the the hurricane is there. It's kind of a disaster. Uh, well, that it is a disaster. It's kind of a disaster for the football program. Obviously, they're you know we have to weigh what's important and what isn't. Um, but y- you got to f- assume that this is impacting the team um, on a number of levels, and they're still playing this game. Yeah, absolutely. And that, like this, you know, I, I we, we of course send out our thoughts to everyone in the Gulf Coast. Um, you know, but LSU, I think they've moved to Houston um, to practice, you know, for this. But, you know, I think for what it'll be interesting to see, like their defense last season, you know, still graded out in the middle of the Power Five. Um, you know, where they, re- they were, but they were, where they really struggled was, I mean, they just, their secondary stunk last year. Um, they were, they were number two in effective rush, number 115 in effective pass, just a massive split, but they also get the best cover corner in college football back. Interestingly. Yeah. Now what did he <laughs> check two. out? Was, was he, Yeah, he opted out okay. last year. I was wondering, cause um, I was like, how did, how were they so awful with him on the team? But oh, yeah, I mean, they lost a ton, you know, like they lost a ton you know, to the NFL too, but then Stingley opted out. So here's the thing, like you're automatically a whole lot better <laughs> against the pass and you don't have Bo Pelini as your defensive coordinator. I just, I think, I mean, LSU on defense is a big mystery to me, but I think one thing that we can be somewhat sure of is that with Stingley there, they're going to feel pretty confident if they have like <clears throat> that, if they have to bring down, you know, one extra player into the box, Stingley is not going to need help covering, you know, you know, whoever he's on from UCLA and that's going to free up the defensive coordinator a bit, um, you know, to be able to bring down some box. And did you have, you know, they were good against the run last year. I mean, this is going to be a real matchup of strengths. I mean, um, for the LSU squad, they're, they're, you're, you're not exactly getting, you know, and they're, they, they returned 77% of their production off of defense last year. I mean, this is, this is a good, and they're, they're number five overall in recruiting you know, a ton of talent. I, I, I think this is, you know, the matchup to watch here, you know, offensively is for CLA is, is can they run? I mean, it's still, can they run the football? I mean, I think DT, if they can run the football, um, 
you know, UCLA has a real shot in this game. If they can't run the football, man, I mean, it's, it's a lot to put on DTR to have to go out and try to win you this game with Derek Stingley shutting down part of the field. I mean, the, you know, Dulcich and the tight ends and, uh, and, and Kelly, they're going to, they're going to find ways to scheme some of those guys open, but you know, DTR can't leave any money on the table like he did this last time. That, that was the thing that I had alluded to at the beginning of the podcast is, yeah, you know, th- th- some of the strength of this LSU secondary is going to be in the corners, but they don't really throw to the wide receivers very much. So who's covering the tight ends? I mean, I think that's more important is how are they, how are they game planning around picking up those big guys that are going, you know, that are streaking down the middle of the field or just like turning around and like, they're just that big target. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I I think they're, I think it's going to be much more difficult. I mean, this is, this isn't rocket science, but it's gonna be much more difficult for UCLA to run the ball um, in this game than basically any game they played last year. And um, yes, we had uh, Britton Brown look good. Yes, Zach Charbonnet looked good. Let's see what they do against the front seven of um, of LSU. But can they move the ball enough to put points on the board through the air with their tight ends? Because I don't think they're going to get it from their wide receivers. I think that's really the key to the game here. And on the other side, though, you know, you have a new quarterback, right? Miles Brennan is injured. TJ Finley yep. transferred to Auburn. Now he wasn't he wasn't great, but. No. You know, who how good is Max Johnson? He threw for a thousand yards, eight touchdowns, and interception. Some of that work was against Old Miss. <laughs> so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um yeah. but he has he has the tools all around him. He has really good wide receivers. They got a good tight end and, and Cole Taylor. How good is this secondary and how good is Brennan? We just it's a bummer because we don't know the answer. By week five, we'll probably know what this UCLA team is right now. Um but you know what LSU is too, right? I mean, like yeah. they're, I mean, two new coordinators, new quarterback, <laughs> Stingley's. I mean, this LSU team was a just a disaster last season. Um, but they're coming in with a, you know, it, the, the, they've done a, you know, full remodel on the inside of this house. And like, we haven't seen what it's like yet. So, I mean, the offense really fell off. I mean, 2019 was the highest rated offense we've ever graded out in beta rank. Last year, they finished at 67. <laughs> So, um, you know, I'm, I, I think, you know, we're going to see better from the, you know, Johnson than we saw. He wasn't as good as Brennan was, um, you know, and it's a, it's a real bummer for Brennan, you know, a kid that I think showed some promise. Um, but you know, I, I think this LSU team, they've, you know, they've got the new coordinator in, but the guys don't have play calling experience. They just have experience with what was the successful 2019 offensive system. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, like, I, I think, I, I think LSU is going to be able to score some points. I think UCLA's defense, if we're talking about improvement, I, I mean, I thought, I thought what we saw from UCLA defensively was pretty good. I don't expect them to blitz like they did, you know, against LSU. Um, you know, because I think LSU has the receiver talent that some of those first and second options are going to be open. Um, you know, and you're not going to be able to get home to the quarterback before he gets the ball out. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think you, like, I think UCLA is going to be able to hang in this game. I mean, I think this game projects to be close for a reason. I think, I think UCLA is going to be able to run the ball. Now we're not talking about the kind of dominant, when I say run the ball, we're not talking about, you know, just busting <laughs> off 20 yard runs right and left. And every time you call power, 
you know, like it's uh, just a giant gaping hole that Charbonnet is just rushing, you know, running through. I think you're probably talking about being able to move the chains somewhat effectively and stay ahead of, you know, what you're, you know, what you're aiming for and, and keep it into third and three, third and four ranges, right? The, it, where they're going to get in trouble is if they're calling, because you can't just call, you know, rushes every, um, you know, every first or second down. If they're behind schedule because, you know, Thompson Robinson's only hitting 55% of his passes on first and second down, that's going to hurt. Yeah. I think the under is the move here because it's at 66 and that might pop up even a little bit more depending on the book that you're at, because I don't think UCLA is going to score that much on the ground. I think you're right. They'll be able to move the ball in four or five yard chunks and they'll probably get a, a couple big ish plays, but I don't see them just breaking this game open based on the run. And I also don't see LSU really breaking. I think UCLA from just what I've seen last year and just the progression of that, that front seven, um, and then continuing in the Hawaii game as bad as that offensive line was, I think they're going to be able to like not get embarrassed on the ground and they're going to force LSU to win this ball through the air. And again, I don't know what the secondary is, but I just, I think I, I just don't like, I don't think that this is going to be a ginormously high scoring game. So I'm going to take the under as the bet, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick LSU and I don't, I don't like this one either, but I, I got to stick to my guns for at least two <laughs> two weeks here on UCLA. I want to see them. I want to see them really emerge. And if they emerge and they keep this game close, then I'm going to start changing my power rankings with them. I just think that what I saw with Hawaii was a bad Hawaii team. Let's see what happens when they play elite talent all over the board and, uh, and how they're able to hang. I mean, the thing that I, the thing I'm going to, I am going to take UCLA here. I don't necessarily expect them to win, but I think three and a half. I I mean, I think you see, I think LSU is going to win by three. Ish, <laughs> I mean that that's not just because that's what Beta Rank has. I just think I, I don't think LSU is that much better than where UCLA projects at right now. I just it, it, and it's hard to tell. I mean, you know, mileage may vary when you get a new coordinator, a new coordinator, and man, LSU's got two of them. I mean, yeah. you can you can easily talk yourself into like it'll be better, but like by how much, right? I mean, the, the by how much becomes kind of important. You know, they have. I mean, LSU absolutely has top five talent. Um, you know, like, do they have it together, you know, a lot more than they did last year? We'll see. Yeah. Plus the long bus rides and the distractions and stuff. I, I, I hear you. Yeah. Um, and I normally would take them. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to pick LSU. Um, but I, I totally get where you're coming from. All right, let's move on to the next game, which is also fascinating. 7.30 PM Pacific time on Fox sports. One Nevada is a three and a half point underdog on the road against Cal. The over under is 52 and a half. And this is a fun game. We talked about this in our, our non-conference preview. We have a really fun offense that's returning 11 starters here in Nevada against a Cal offense that I'm assuming is going to be a lot better than what we saw last year, given all the, all the mess with COVID and not tackling and, you know, just like a lack of practice and the restrictions in California. Um, you know, we finally get to see Bill Musgrave's offense in action against a pretty bad defense, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think this is going to be a, a good opportunity for Cal to work out some kinks. Um, they should have better talent, you know, across the board against this Nevada, um, you know, defense in particular, uh, they, they Nevada improved, but in again, like small, weird sample defensively last year, I'm interested to see what it looks like against a, you know, a full year's worth of data. Um, but Cal with the kind of, 
you know, with the kind of off season, you know, to get Musgrave systems down, system down, I, I expect them to be able to score points um, and move the ball against this Nevada team pretty effectively. The, the one thing that is interesting is Carson Strong. I mean, there's some other interesting parts of this offense too, but 2,800 yards, 70% completion rate, eight yards per pass, which like, that's pretty good. Oftentimes you see like six, six and a half, seven. Um, so that means he's yeah. gunned it down the field a little bit more. This is just, a, this is beautiful. I'm looking at this. It brings a tear to my eye. 17 touchdowns, four interceptions last year. Woo! Oh man, that's beautiful. Um, they they have a uh, they do have a great wide receiver in Romeo uh, Romeo Dupes I think is how you pronounce his name thousand yards nine touchdowns they have a good tight end and Cole Turner the the one thing here though is that they're really not and, and they have returned Elijah Cooks who was awesome last year so they have basically two thousand yard uh, wide receivers that come back the one thing that gives me pause the reason I'm going to take Cal is because Cal's secondary is quite good so if you're yeah. going to attack him you got to run through the ground and uh, and they really don't have a great rushing attack it's efficient but um, I just think they're running right into the teeth of the secondary through the air. And, you know, you take a look at the beta rank numbers from last year, you know, you had Cal at 49 through, you know, on the ground. I, I love their, their running backs. I think their running backs are quite good. Um, I expect that to improve. Yeah. I think Garbers is good. Um, I'm not certain about the wide receiving talent around him, but I think he's good enough to get them to 50. So when you take a look at that compared to like the mid to uh, low seventies that you have Nevada, like, I, I just think that Cal is a better team here. And the one yeah. area where strong really could push them, uh, is where, is where they're going to be able to push back. Well, it's not, I mean, they're running a version of the area. They've got Hal Mummy's kids, their offensive coordinator. So it's not, it's not like, I don't think they're going to run the ball, even if it suits playing Cal, right? I mean, yeah. it would be really, I mean, the cat, the weakness of this Cal team, of course, you know, for the last two or three years has been a and B gap runs, man. I mean, more, if Nevada is able to just go against the grain and just pound Cal up the middle, like that, like, wow, like that could open some things up. I'm just not sure they'll be able to do it. I think they're going to stick to their guns and, and probably throw the football around. And that is, you know, going to play into Cal strengths. Got it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a fascinating matchup. Um, I'm look thinking about the over 52 and a half where you can see a scenario where Cal puts up 30 points and uh, maybe even more than that. Uh, I do think Nevada is going to score in this game, so I don't think the, the defense is going to shut them out. I think the, the quarterback and the wide receivers are too strong. Um, but I do think this uh, this might be an area where Vegas is overcompensating for Cal's you know, perceived defensive strengths. And, um, and I think they're, they're going to be a little bit leaky here and, and give up some points, but I also think they're going to score them. So, uh, I'm t- taking a look at that, but give me Cal. I think they, they win this game. They take care of business and you're, you're on the same page, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Give me the bears. Beta ranks got it at seven. Cool. All right. Two more games here before we wrap up, we have seven thirty PM on ESPN. BYU is a 12 point favorite on the road, um, not on the road in Las Vegas. Um, against the University of Arizona. The over-under here is 54. And uh, th- this BYU team is a team that's lost, like, everybody, Rob. Yeah. I mean, they're a team, like, last season, they didn't play anybody. Weird COVID year again. Um, you know, Beta Rank is undoubtedly, you know, over, over-projecting them last year for where they were just six overall in Beta Rank, number four on offense. I don't think that that's the case. Um, you know, so I think, you know, beta rank has them projected coming into this season at, at 20 overall. 
Um, you know, I think that they've got a little, you know, they're, they're, they're probably closer to the mid thirties, I would expect. Um, you know, and as, as you pointed out, they're just, they're not bringing back a lot. Um, you know, 119 in returning production uh, on the offensive side of the wall, 53%, you know, 107, 66% there. Um, and this Arizona team is also, I mean, they were awful last year, right? Um, you know, got, got their head coach fired, you know, despite a massive, uh, you know, deficit that the athletic department was facing. But they, you know, they were 93 on defense last season. By the end of the year, they were, you know, absolutely just playing, you know, walk-ons in a couple of positions. Um, 101 on offense, you know, insteps a totally new coaching staff. And I mean, maybe as many as six or seven new starters on defense that have transferred in. Um, I don't think Arizona wins this game. But you can talk yourself. I mean, you can talk like the, the line is has creeped down a little bit for for BYU. Uh, I mean, I just I don't think what what's what what should give anyone pause if they're if they're in any way thinking of taking Arizona is how bad Arizona's offensive line was last year, and in particular at handling stunts and movement on the defensive line, and BYU under Shitake has a very aggressive defensive line. They move a lot. They stunt a lot. Arizona's line, you know, is going to have to take leaps and bounds improvement over what they were last year. Ooh, making me nervous, Rob. Making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, 12, 12 seems like a lot. I think Arizona will be able to move the ball a little bit more yeah. than clearly they were able to last year. Um, I think Fish is a creative play caller. They're going to have some way more tight end sets. They're they're just going to do more of that. Like think of the Rams type of offense, right? Where you have more tight ends. You are throwing to the wide receivers, but I think their running backs are decent. But man, that all kind of collapses uh, really quickly if BYU is able to get through that line. And the line was pretty terrible last year. Um, the thing that makes me interested in this game would be the flip side. It's BYU's offense, right? They clearly they they lose. Uh, Zach Hill. Zach. Oh, I, you almost got me saying Zach Hill. That's the offensive coordinator at Arizona State. Uh, Zach. Oh man, Wilson. Uh, yeah, they, thank you. They, uh, Zach Wilson. Um, Jaron Hall's the new quarterback. Now he started two games in 2019. wasn't bad. Um, 31 for 46, 420 yards, 70, 67% completion rate, and he was throwing down the field nine yards per pass and a touchdown, no picks. Then he had a concussion. Then he was out last year with a hip injury, so really hasn't played for quite a while, um, but was able yeah. to cement himself. There's two Romneys on this team, uh, Rob. There's Gunner, and then there's uh, the guy he was uh, he was fighting Baylor. for, <laughs> Baylor Romney. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the pieces here are interesting. You get Puka Nakua from Washington, Samson Nakua from Utah. So I mean like there there's pieces around here and the O line is big. So I think I think they'll be able New to New offensive move. coordinator. Yep, yeah, that's true. Uh but he was the passing coordinator, so there is some continuity yeah. there. Yeah. I think they're gonna be able to move the ball. It's just can they stop I mean twelve is mm. I I took twelve. No, I, I agree with you. I I but I think one of the things that they've done I think if they're going to be able to move the ball effectively, they're going to, I think they're going to have to run it too, because I think Rutherford and Roland Wallace are actually kind of good for Arizona. Like if you looked at what work has worked for Arizona for the last couple of years, the worst parts, the absolute worst parts of Arizona's past defense has not been a corner. Safety. It's been the linebackers and the safety. It's just yeah. awful. 
Um, and so like, I, I think that they match up reasonably well, but I mean, I mean, but that, uh, the question I guess you have to have coming into this is like, I mean, I don't even know what Arizona's pass rush is going to look like. They got guys, <laughs> they got, they got guys that we haven't seen in a play at a power five game, you know? And yeah, like some of them were pretty decorated at, you know, group of five places, but like, I haven't even seen a depth chart from Arizona and I kind of do want to like, you know, I don't want to get too absorbed in a depth chart, but like, I kind of want to see a depth chart to see who's lining up where. Um, cause they've also, I mean, they've got a transfer and it's safety for Northwestern. They've got, you know, Rutherford, the transfer at corner from Notre Dame, who's a former force. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, can Arizona get enough stops? And with Brown, who is a massive upgrade, I mean, both Brown, I mean, Brown is a massive upgrade. Fish is a huge upgrade over what Mazzoni was doing. I went back and watched some 2017 UCLA tape and what Fish was calling was interesting. I mean, like even with like, even when he was playing against, that was a pretty good Cal defense that Wilcox year in 2017. I think that was Wilcox's first year. They took a bit, they had a big improvement Man, Fish lit him up. Um, and Josh Rosen got hurt halfway through the game and they still lit him up. Um, it's just a big, big improvement. I think schematically, I don't know. I mean, 12 feels like a lot for a team that BYU still doesn't recruit where they sit at. They're, they're 72 overall in recruiting. Like they don't really have, like, I don't think you can make an argument that they have a lot better talent than Arizona recruiting wise. It's just going to come down to, I think, like they're, they are, they have been better coached in the past. I think their development's been better. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that the over under is 54 and it's a 12 point spread. So Vegas is almost thinking that Arizona can't score in this game. I think they will be able to score a few points. I'm, I'm going to take the 12. Um, I would, I'm not, well, I put real money on this cause I'm going to be in Las Vegas watching the game live, but that is the only reason that I'm betting on this game. So I highly recommend that nobody do the same, but, um, who, who are you taking here? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I like I'm going to go against Beta Rank here because I think BYU is getting too much of a bump from last year, um, where I think that they were overrated because of just the weird COVID year in the data. Um, I think Arizona, what we saw from them last year was a total collapse. I think that they have a real like. Whereas I think BYU is overrated. I think Arizona. I'm not saying they were underrated for what you saw on them last year, but what we saw of them last year is a bit like say Michigan or Penn state where like there were a lot of opt outs and then there were injuries. And then there was like, it was just a snowball effect for them. I, I think the coaching staff gets Arizona within a touchdown. I don't think they win the game, but um, I think this game stays tight all the way through the fourth quarter. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, last game for the night. I know we got to get out of here, Rob, uh, eight o'clock PM. Uh, on the Pac-12 Network, Utah State is a sixteen and a point, uh, sixteen and a half point underdog on the road at Washington State. The over/under in this game is sixty-six and a half, and this Utah State team sucks. Like they suck. Profoundly. I, I love. Give me Washington State on this. I think they just beat the tar out of them. I actually want the under too. I don't think Utah State's going to score, and I know Washington State's uh, 
defense is pretty bad, but Utah State's offense is awful as well. Um, I think this is going to be a dumb, dumb game. Uh, now it is Pac-12 after, after dark, so maybe it maybe it's dumb in, in the ways that I don't think are going to happen. But I think Washington State kind of rolls away from this game and looks really good going into the the next uh, next. I think they play a FCS game after this. But um, I mean, I can go through some of the some of the Utah State. I mean, they don't know who their quarterback is. They returned their top six pass catchers, but none of them were that good. The you know their offensive line. That's the one thing. Their offensive line was decent. And we're going to have a Devontae Henry Cole sighting here. So that's kind of cool. Calvin Tyler, too, from Oregon State. I, I don't know. I just think the defense is bad. The offense is bad. And uh, Washington State's going to have enough time, you know, to prepare for an actual team in an actual year. And I, I think they run away with this. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you're talking about where I think Vegas has this this game, I think they're expecting Washington State to to not be terribly good offensively. I just think Washington state, even if you're not great offensively, is going to be able to move the ball pretty effectively against this awful, awful defense. Um, you know, they graded out at 123 in beta rank last season, awful against the run, awful against the pass. I expect Borgie to have a really big game running the football here. Um, I think that they're going to have, you know, I think that Garantano or Delora, I expect to see, you'll probably see them both. They've got an or on the depth chart. Um, I think they'll both probably have pretty good games here. And then I don't, I mean, Utah state, I don't think that they're, you know, offensively, if you're talking about it, I don't think that they're, you know, projected to be anything special. Uh, What do we got them at last season? 123. I mean, they were bad. bad. Even even as bad as Washington state's defense has been, and they have also been pretty bad. They return a lot. You know, Dickert has a shot to maybe get them, you know, at least until like the seventies, maybe the sixties by the end of the year, it's still a really bad power five defense, but you know, that'd be a big improvement of where they've been. Um, and that should be enough to really, I think, you know, stymie this Utah state game state team. Batering has got this at, at, at 24. I, I really like Washington state. against this 16 and a half. Yeah. The, the only thing to mention here and we'll get out of here is that they do have a new coach. So the Arkansas state coach comes, he brings some interesting coordinators yep. with them, but man, they just do not have the horses at all right now. And I feel like this is a, uh, that, you know, that traditional year zero year for, uh, for Utah state as they pick up the pieces. Yeah. I just, they don't have push on the front. Anyway, it's, it's funny when you, it's always good when you read the articles that are like, they return 12 starters. I'm like, yeah, from you know, all, their entire secondary returns, you know, and they're 110th in the country, you know, that that's this team. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, I, I did say the under, you know, there is a world where Washington state puts up 50 and gives up that's still 66 and a half. That's a lot. I'm going to take Washington state. I'm going to take the under, um, I don't think they're going to drop a 60 burger on, um, on Utah state. And I don't think Utah state scores more than 14 points. So, um, I'll take both of those. All right, Rob, any, anything else you want to plug? No, no, we did it. I mean, the, the Saturday six on Saturday morning, we've got some really good games. Um, you know, LSU and UCLA is one of them. Um, but there's some good games this, uh, this, this weekend, Clemson and Georgia, of course, is the, the headliner, but, yeah, I'm excited for real football and the first run of beta rank on Sunday morning. I usually have it up by 9 a.m. Eastern time. Right on. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we will catch everybody next week. And no mid-Saturday you know, no mid uh, show this week. Um, we'll probably do one next week when I'm in Columbus with Rob. Um, but I'll be in Las Vegas. And you know, I'll probably be at a pie gal 
poker table somewhere. So, um, <laughs> so no, we will uh, not. We will not be doing it from the Ohio State Oregon game, however, because there's no way from the horseshoe that we can guarantee the kind of sell coverage. A hundred thousand of our closest friends all trying to get on the network. Later, later in the day, later in the day. That's what that's when we're, we'll be doing that with the big nude kickoff. So, um, all right, yep. everybody, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next week.